Well, again, happy Father's Day, fathers in the room. Um, I'm at this point, uh, ushers are getting ready. They're passing out envelopes. If you need one, that will give you a receipt for your giving. Um, if you need an envelope or would like an envelope, wave down any of the ushers you see serving us. Um, and we have a few different ways to give. Uh, on the screen, we'll be showing you that you can text to give, you could send a check in the mail, or if you're here in the room right now, you can, uh, as the ushers are getting ready to pass those baskets, you can um, give here too as well. I, I actually had something on my heart that I'd like to share with you quickly uh, that I think can tie into offering, and it... Um, came to me the, this last weekend. I was just thinking about that that story. It's just so packed full of all kinds of stuff, but um, the one where Jesus was sleeping on the boat and the storm hit. Do you guys remember that story? Um, I was thinking about that story and how, like, over the years of teaching on that story, my favorite part of that was that uh, when Jesus said, let's cross over, um, that was what he had on his mind, that there was something big going to happen when they crossed over. And they encountered the storm. Jesus was sleeping. But how many of you know that Jesus was, like, not scared of the storm? He was in peace. He had his mind or his intentions on what was about to happen. And the coolest thing was that when they did get there, they survived the storm. They got there. And it was probably one of the biggest recorded uh, freeing moments where so many demons were cast out of a man. Just one of the biggest recorded, there was like 2,000, they say, almost, uh, spirits in this one guy. Everybody say, whew, it's a, it's a lot. I mean, but um, I was just thinking, I, I kept hearing this phrase, let's cross over in my mind. And regarding finances, I was just thinking how, man, storms can come. And sometimes when you're trying to be responsible with your money, you're giving, you're being generous. Man, for one thing, if you don't have, like, challenges financially, what are you doing? Because there should always be a push to do more with your money financially. There should always be another, like, dream or something that God has on your heart. So there should be challenges, and in those challenges, I felt compelled to feel like it's not a personal attack because the Satan, Satan would love to rid you of every cent you have, but it's not about you and a personal attack. It's about the amazing uh, impact that you can have with your resources and with your life. And it's about when you cross over, big things are going to happen. Freedom is there when you cross over. Uh, any oppression is gone when you cross over. And I thought, especially with our finances today, if you have a challenge, man, let's cross over. Because on the other side of that storm, on the other side of this thing that you have going on with your finances, or it could be like what Tiffany was talking about. It could be a physical thing. It could be an emotional thing. Everything's, I feel like it's tied to your heart. And giving and your money is a big part of your heart. So today as we're giving our offering, I don't know if this is making sense to anybody, but when it comes to your money, the challenge that you're going through, God's saying, let's cross over. Let's have peace in this storm. Let's have faith and remember when Jesus said, let's go to this place. 
Where's the place that Jesus has you going? Instead of wondering, why me? Why is this going on in my life? Why am I I'm being so responsible and generous? Instead, just wonder, oh, who is this God that has such peace in the storm? And what is he about to do on the other side? So with your tithes and offerings in hand, let's just believe that, oh man, something big is happening. Something big is coming. It involves our money. It involves our, our time and our lives. And God, we just thank you that we are so blessed. We just thank you that you've given us above and beyond. You've met every need. And we stand here today and we give to your kingdom because we believe that as we cross over into the next thing, into the next side, that, boy, you have some freedom there for us. You have freedom not just only for us, but everybody around us. Um, we get more opportunities to be generous on the other side and expand your kingdom. And God, we're just so thankful that in this place, our act of giving is powerful. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, ushers, you can pass the buckets, and I have a few announcements. Um, since it's Father's Day today, fathers don't leave the building without grabbing a steak. That is our gift to you. Um, bring that home, and maybe just use the sidewalk, because it's going to be that hot. You can grill it right there. Don't even fire up the grill, just use the sidewalk. But um, So, happy Father's Day. Don't forget your steak. Um, Kids Camp is coming up June 27th through the 29th. Registration forms are in the back on the table in that foyer area. If you have any questions, speak to Ryan Carey. Um, there will be a family service on the last day of Kids Camp, uh, which is Wednesday, June 29th. Uh, David Wagner's going to be there or not? Okay. So, uh, Families, be ready on that day when you pick up your kids. That is welcome to you. Um, also, this week, Yuri Bender, where, where is he in the room? Yeah! Woo! He is going to be speaking to the youth this week at Wednesday at the DF at 6.30. So that's going to be really exciting. Um, again, Wednesday, 6.30, we meet at the DF. Uh, and I think that's it for the announcements. Let's welcome Pastor Steve up here for the word. Amen. God's good. <clears throat> so we have, um, just want to give a little plug for Yuri. Yuri, Tanya, stand up. You, your whole family stand up. They're originally from Ukraine. They're here for a couple weeks. And um, we appreciate them so much. Um, Yuri was... Uh, he spoke. He speaks Russian and English, so he was our interpreter for many of our crusades for I don't know a couple of years, and then um, they moved several years ago to America. They went through Bethel's School of Ministry and they graduated, did the whole three years, and then did the internship. So we're they're going to be speaking next Sunday. So we're glad to have them with us. God bless you guys. <clears throat> so so it's Father's Day and. And uh, fathers are, men are a unique breed. Let me just tell you that right now. And uh, they like certain things. And uh, they don't like other things. And uh, so um, th they don't necessarily want to go deep and intimate. They, they, they want to just keep it happy and fun. So I got a joke for you. 
I was going to give you a Jim Gaffigan joke, but I can't remember um, which ones I've showed you, so I don't want to repeat because people think I'm boring. But so, so this husband and wife go to the doctor, and he, she, he's having some physical, serious physical problem. How many have heard this joke? Okay, you have? All right, my wife. <laughs> some of you haven't heard it. So anyways, um, um, so she goes, they go to the doctor, and the doctor checks them all out, and then calls the wife in without the husband and says, ma'am, your husband is, is, is just stressed out. He's got all kinds of problems. And uh, he's going to die. Now, there's one thing you can do to help him live longer. And that is, be there for his, all his needs. And I'm talking carnal needs, every need that he has. If he needs sex, be there for sex. Uh, three hot meals a day. Um, no stress. Don't yell at him. Don't nag him about anything. Uh, in fact, you, sh you could probably get a job maybe and make a little bit more money, so take some pressure off him. Basically, be his slave. If you do that, he's going to live longer. And so she goes, okay. So they get in the car afterwards, and um, uh, the husband goes, well, what did the doctor say, honey? You're going to die. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, that's funny. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> but anyways, um, so I, I'm, I'm here. I want to talk to you a little bit about manhood. And um, I, um, I don't know, may, maybe this is just me, but I, I see that manhood has really been under attack for, for several decades. And, uh, you know, like a, a culture, a society produces a product. Uh, when I say a product, it produces people. You know, we have institutions. We have, you know, I call it a lot of times propaganda or information. And it's producing a certain product. And it, to me, it seems like, and I, maybe I'm in a different place than you are, but to me, it seems like the product that our culture is producing is a, has a lot, of, a lot to do with confusion and chaos. I don't know if you guys feel that way, but everything is being redefined. And there's a lot of confusion about everything. And people now, they, you know, they don't even want you to put on the birth certificate what, what biological science gender the child is. We want to let the child grow up and say, I'm just feeling like, uh, let me see here, I'm just feeling like uh, whatever today. And, and this is like, it's just creating more and more chaos. And there, there are all these movements. And some of the movements, you know, they do... They do, you know, they're, they're like, they center around emotional issues. And, um, and some of them are addressing legitimate things. You know, it's not like they're not legitimate. Some of them are legitimate things. It's just that there's unintended consequences. And one of the things that I think is that manhood is, is being assaulted in a big way. And, um, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, I bring this up. You know, I don't watch TV, I don't watch the sitcoms, but, you know, it used to be years ago, the sitcoms, there, there would not be one sitcom. I mean, back in the 60s, men were portrayed as, you know, honorable, virtuous, you know, committed, faithful type people, good fathers, good husbands, that's how they were portrayed. You know, some once in a while they'd be, take a little jab at them, but mostly it was, it was in a positive light. And that changed with the, with the feminist movement. It kind of changed, and men took a big hit, and they, 
and they change the portrayal that man now is kind of like a doofus. You know, he's like, you know, I've never seen the program uh, Simpsons. I've never even seen one program. But from what I understand is that the, the father in that program, his, his name is Herman or something. That was a test. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what was his name again? Homer. Homer is some kind of a buffoon, doofus, incapable. And that's kind of how they present man today, that he's just... And I remember during the Me Too movement, and, you know, there's, I, I think some of that stuff needs to be exposed. I mean, it definitely needs to be. We need to have safe environments for everybody. But, but I remember this one senator got on there and said, said to all the men, you men, shut up, sit down, or stand up for what's right or whatever. And I just thought to myself, I'm not shutting up and I'm not sitting down. Just because a cra- there's a few crazy people, you can't broad strike broad swipe everybody and put them in the same light. And I just, it was so frustrating to me. But I just feel like there, there's a, a, an attack. And so manhood is under attack, and it's basically being redefined today. And, uh, and we, need to, we need to go back to biblical definitions. I mean, you know, I always, I brought this up, and somebody uh, gave me a, uh, but, I, but I said, like, you know, some of our furniture, you know, lazy boy. How many have a lazy boy at home? But can you imagine calling a piece of furniture a lazy girl? I mean, there'd be like, there'd probably be protests, riots. Or how about this, Sloppy Joe? How about Sloppy Jane? Right? I mean, it's like, there's always this subtle attack. And, and, and I said that one day, and somebody came up to me and, and said that there, said some, some negative it was either furniture or food about a woman. So, but, but just to help my sermon, just stay with me, okay? Sloppy, uh, lazy boy, sloppy Joe. But anyways, so I just think that's a subtle attack. And so in, in a sense, it's confusing to be a man today. And, and I, I believe that we have to go back to foundations. You know, there's a verse in Psalms chapter 11, verse 3. It talks about the foundations and it says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so there's certain things. In fact, the very first institution that God established was the family. That was the very first institution. And he gave definitions. He gave, this is what a man will be. This is what a husband will be. This is what a wife will be. He gave definitions. And when we abandon those things, it's like uh, we're, bandy, we're abandoning foundations. When we abandon God's definitions and God's roles, we're abandoning foundations. And what happens then is like if you were an inspector and you, you know, there was a storm or something and you went out to a house and you saw damage on the roof, you wouldn't condemn the house. Or if you saw walls that were damaged or windows that were damaged, you wouldn't condemn the house. But if you looked at the foundation and the foundation was, was jacked up or messed up or something, you'd probably condemn the house because once the foundation goes, this whole thing's going down. And I think that what happens is happening to us is that there's been an attack on the foundation, a foundation of society, what makes society uh, uh, healthy. And, you know, they, they said this years ago, back in the 60s, you know, they were they, people that studied, sociologists that study uh, movements in the culture they said they were alarmed because of all the fatherlessness that was in America. 
at that time, I think it was uh, fatherlessness rate was in the teens, uh, high teens. I don't remember what it was, 18% of the homes were fatherless. And some of the minority communities were even higher, higher fatherless rates. And they were alarmed, just saying, what, what could actually happen? This, is, this would be terrible if this trend continues. And so what happened was the trend not only continued, but it ballooned and got way worse. And uh, in fact, I think it's in the 40s or 50s. At one point, it was in the 40s or 50s and even higher in some of the minority communities. And some, you know, we, we, people talk about the war on poverty, the war on, you know, not, you know, uh, not, you know getting everybody educated because it, it's, these things cause problems, and they do cause problems. And so there's, there's kind of like this, um, this uh, covetousness or this um, envy that we create in a society. We see somebody's rich, we think, because he's rich, I'm poor. And that's not how capitalism works. Capitalism, if somebody's rich, it doesn't mean that that's why you're poor. Capitalism will raise anybody up that will work hard and follow the principles of hard work and honesty, integrity. But it creates these things, and then people want to tear the system down, destroy it. And that's not really the answer. You know, it's interesting, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, we won't read these verses, but uh, it was right before the children of Israel were going into Babylon. And God lays out some characteristics of the culture that was uh, going into Babylon. And there's four things that stood out to me that was uh, the, the makeup of the culture that was about ready to go into Babylon. And the first thing was the people, they removed the noble people from having a voice in society. And I always said this a long time ago. Have you ever watched the news and go, everything that guy says, I disagree with? Have you ever done that? And, and then these uh, pundits, so they call them. Everything they say, I, I totally disagree with everything you say. Everything you say is an attack on uh, the foundation of a healthy society. And, and what's happening is that was the first thing that was happening in, in that culture is that the noble people, what they were, their voice was being silenced. And the rabble, the rabble or the crazy people were the only ones that were talking. And the only ones that were being given a voice in the culture. The other thing was that the society began to change history. They started changing their history and starting to, you know, because history is both good and bad. How many know that's true? I mean, you can look at history, you can say, oh, that was bad. Oh, that was really bad. That was, that was good. That was, that was good. America's history isn't just beautiful. It has some bumps. How many know that's true? But, you know, if you just focus on the bumps, you're going to get a distorted picture. It's just like, you know, husbands and wife, if, if I just focus on, I can't think of any faults in my wife right now, but if I just focused on faults, right? Or if she, let's just use her. She, if she focused on faults, I can't think of any either, but for me. But, <laughs> but if she just focused on faults, she would get a distorted picture of me. Because I'm actually really wonderful. And I just want her to know that right now, that... You are one lucky woman. This is Father's Day, so. <laughs> but my point is, my point is, is that when you look at history and you, you try to say and, and focus on the faults, what happens is you get a distorted picture. There, there were some incredibly, incredibly noble times in America's history. 
Thank you for your enthusiasm. We should have said amen a lot louder than that. There are some incredibly noble times. Just let me, let me give you this one. Do you speak German? You're welcome. Right? I remember um, I, was in, I was traveling one time, and I think I was, I was in Ukraine. I think I was in Russia. I was one of those countries. And some lady comes up to me, and she's speaking broken English, and she goes, are you, are you American? This is many years ago. And I go, yeah, I'm American. She goes, oh, she starts crying. She goes, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Ronald Reagan. I go, really? <laughs> I mean, I liked him, but I mean, come on. Because they were so excited that he stood there and said to Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And they did. And they opened that whole thing up. But you don't hear a lot of that in, in today's culture. So the wrong voices are being heard. They're changing history. The third thing that the society that went into captivity, the, the, the condition of the society before it went into captivity was boys were their leaders. It says that in the scripture. Boys are their leaders. It doesn't mean age-wise, but it means emotional maturity-wise. And sometimes when you look at men today, they're just boys. Emotionally, they're boys. They don't, they don't take responsibility. They're passive. They kind of like, you know, go around behind the corner, go behind the house and <laughs> tell dirty jokes. Hey, hey, come on, we need to grow up a little bit. Take responsibility. How many know what I mean? But that's what, that's what that culture had. It had produced leaders that were just emotional boys. And the last thing is that nobody was taking responsibility. They were just passing the buck. It's not my fault. It's the war in Russia. No, it's your fault. Thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> and so we need a different kind of a, <clears throat> a different kind of a, uh, a message that's going out into our culture. We need a different message. And, and I think that the Bible has a clear definition of what manhood really is. Because you see, men, like I said, it's confusing to be a man today. And there are countless statistics given that warn us about the effectiveness, the effects of fatherlessness. Now listen to this. I wrote this down. I want you to hear this because this is absolutely true. The, all these things that I'm about ready to list here are directly related to fatherlessness. Everything from gender confusion to violence. It's all, it's all related to, we don't think that it is, but it is. It's related to fatherlessness. Sexual confusion to a lack of education. Suicide to social unrest. Addiction even to atheism. It's all directly related to fatherlessness. You know, I remember I went to this movie uh, by Lee Strobel. Uh, it was called A Case for Christ. Tell him I said hi. Case for Christ. Tell me, you should have been there. It was a good message. And you would have gotten a steak, too. But, but the, the movie was A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And, and what he said there was he was going around because Lee Strobel was a newspaper reporter, very good one, and he was an atheist. And he was going around trying to prove to his wife, because his wife had gotten saved, he was trying to prove to his wife that Christ did not raise from the dead. Because he went around and asked theologians, what is the basis of the Christian faith? And they all said, the resurrection of Christ. Yeah. 
if you could disprove the resurrection of Christ, then the whole thing falls apart. The whole argument falls apart. And so he went around. So he is using his, his uh, reporter skills to try to, uh, to disprove the resurrection of Christ. So he's going around, and he went to this one, uh, I think it was a psychiatrist or psychologist, one of those two. I get those two mi names mixed up. But, and, and asked him, what is the psychology of people that believe in Christ? I mean, what is up with them? What, what is wrong with their head? Because that's, that, that's how he saw it. And so he, they started talking, this psychologist started talking to him. And then the psychologist said this. Did you have, are you an atheist? He goes, yes, I'm an atheist. He goes, did you have a bad relationship with your father? He goes, what does that have anything to do with it? He goes, the most well-known atheists all have an emotional detachment from their father. And he walked away. And I, when I heard that, I thought, aha, bingo. It's not a, a logical, you know, that we say it's, it's an intellectual. No, it's not intellectual, it's emotional. Atheism is more emotional than it's intellectual. Preach, Steve, I think I will. And so fathers, so confused men make up most of the problems in a society. I remember when uh, I saw this panel uh, discussion at Gateway Church in Texas where um, the, the, this black business leader had brought all these businessmen into, into the church and they were having this panel discussion. And they actually, President Trump was there. This is quite a few years ago. And so they, they were telling him, and this black man, he said, every single prisoner that I work with, every single prisoner that I work with, and he had all kinds of prisons that he went to, would hold these, trying to integrate prisoners back into culture. He said every single one of them had no father in the home. Every one of them. Without exception, everyone had no father in the home. And so... It's important for us to understand that the fathers, and when I say father, I don't mean just a male. You, I mean, just because you can make a baby doesn't mean you're a father. I mean, just because you can make a baby don't make you a father. Amen. That, that was good. I'm glad I said that. I'm talking about fathering. There's a certain, because fathering is not just a role or a position. It's a nature. There's a, a, a certain thing that fathers bring to the home. Let me give you another verse here. This is a, all these verses I'm giving you are well-known verses. I don't know if Psalms was well-known, but Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Look at this verse. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn, now listen to this, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He doesn't say mothers. He says fathers. Because uh, traditionally, mo most of the time, mothers don't abandon the families. I mean, at least that's the case in America. I mean, sometimes they do, but mostly they, they usually don't. It's usually the fathers that do it. The hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. He said there's actually going to be a spirit of Elijah that's going to come to a culture. And it's going to turn, not heads, hearts. Not heads, hearts. It's going to turn the hearts of fathers to children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Now listen to this last phrase. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. In other words, if, if this doesn't happen, this does not happen, this does not occur, 
the society or the culture is going to go, come under a curse. And I, I tell you, when you look at all the symptoms in our society, I wonder if we're experiencing a curse. And I'm not trying to be negative. I want to be positive, but I want to, I want to, I want to encourage you. See, fathers, mothers are extremely important, but this is Father's Day, so we're doing fathers today. <laughs> Can't do mothers on Father's Day, sorry. But fathers have impart, impart a sense of identity and value to their children. Fathers are a stabilizing presence in the house. Again, I'm talking about fathers not as a title or a position, but as a nature. You know, and God ordained that a father would be there. He would be the head of that home. And that means that he would take the initiative in that home. Being ahead of something doesn't mean that you're the boss. Being the head of something is that you're responsible. That you are the one that takes responsibility in this home. You've got to have the attitude, my kids are not going to hell. I'm going to emotionally connect with these kids. I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them guidance. I'm going to give them value. I'm going to give them nourishment. I'm going to give them what they need. I'm going to give them training. I'm going to give them teaching. I'm going to talk to them. You know, I... Remember, I heard this one preacher, he said that his father was just, his father was an alcoholic. You know, when, when somebody says, my father, my mother was an alcoholic, the next thing that, that's going to come is not going to, and so therefore my life was wonderful. Have you ever noticed that? When they say my mother was an alcoholic or my father was an alcoholic, the next thing is going to be, and so therefore my life was tragic. My upbringing was tragic. And it's not enough to just be there, but you have to connect, emotionally connect. So that's why he says my, he'll turn the hearts of the father. And, and, you know, a lot of times us fathers, and I, was, I, I always say I wasn't a great father. My wife was a great mother. I'm not kidding you. You would have gone, wow. And you looked at me and you're going, huh. <laughs> Everybody say, huh. That's what he would have said when you, if you watch my fathering ability. I always looked at myself as the, the angry troll that lived under the bridge. That came out every once in a while and said, what's going on here? You guys lost your minds? You're crazy or something? You know, that's... I remember I was walking with a father one time, and, and we kind of came around the corner, and, uh, and all of a sudden, his, one of his kids had did something really bad. And I looked... And I, I was waiting for his response. And you know what he said? I didn't see that. <laughs> I looked at him. I said, you didn't see that. I saw it. <laughs> Can't stick your head in the sand. Come on, we got to do something here. You got to step up, buddy. You got to put your big boy pants on. You got to do something. <laughs> but I have to admit that, that one, one thing I didn't lack was the ability to do something. It might not have always been pretty. I remember one time I had two kids that were, seemed like they, their personalities didn't mesh real good. And so they would get on each other's nerves. And uh, I don't know if you guys ever had that happen. It's just like, it's like one kid was looking at the other kid going, there's just something about you that ticks me off. You know, it's just, and so they would clash pretty, pretty, 
pretty good. And, and they just irritate one another. And, you know, you kind of go into their worlds, you kind of see how they, they irritate. You know, it's, it's interesting. Katie was telling me, or Jeremy was telling me, that their little Benji, um, their Cora, will, they'll be in the car together, and Cora will go, eh. Benji will go, stop that. <laughs> eh. Stop it. Eh. I can't take it anymore. Stop it. All, she, all she's going is, eh. And, and, and so that was kind of the way it was. So we were all working out in the yard. And uh, so they were fighting. You know, I said, okay. so I, I, th- this was not a good move on, to be, uh, 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 as a father. I told them, all right, you guys wash the car. What a dumb thing. Because water is involved. Anytime water is involved, there's going to be a fight. And so the one guy wanted to spray the car first. The other guy wanted to soap it down. So they're over there fighting. I'm, I'm doing something with the rain gutters. I remember this. And I'm just getting angrier and angrier. And the troll is still under the bridge, but he's coming out. And, and all of a sudden, I, I saw them, whatever. And I just, I, I just blew a gasket. And you guys, I know you guys have never done this. You guys are all kind and sweet, but I went over there and I, I, I just, I started yelling at them in anger. Just, what's the matter with you? It's like, you know, the umpire and the manager at a ball game. That's how I, just yelling my head off. And then get this, get this, get this. I said to them, why can't you control yourself? I actually said that. And I remember when I said it, I looked at their face and di- they were in disbelief. Control yourself. How about you, Dad? I mean, you're out of control right now. But the good news is there was no physical violence involved. Not from me, but they were at each other. But, but, um, but I had to apologize after that one. You know, I hate apologizing because I think I'm always right. You know, it's hard to. Isn't that? Do you guys feel that way, or do you guys? I'm sorry. You know, um, and so I had to apologize. But I don't know why I told you all that. So, but fathering is not just a fathering is not just a position. It's not a dictatorial. It's a it's a nature. It's taking responsibility, not hiding your head in the sand, taking responsibility. What's this family going to be like? And what are we going to do to make this family the way I want it to be? You know, in olden days, well, I was talking to Tanya and Yuri, and they were talking about when they were young, there was no talking at their table. And I remember that that was something that in my, when I was young, we didn't talk a lot at, at the table. My, our dad, our grandpa, especially when we go see our grandpa, he didn't want us to talk. I don't know why. He wanted us to be silent. And the adults could talk, but the kids couldn't talk. But I read one day in the, in the Bible where God says to talk about his principles around your table when you sit down to eat. I thought, that's not a scriptural a pattern or a scriptural practice. And so we would always get together and we would talk, you know, as, as family. We would talk and we would have... We would have a tremendous time. Now, here, here's something. You really, want to hear something really funny? I haven't gotten to my sermon yet. This is just talk. <laughs> want to hear something funny or don't you guys? Are you done with funny? Okay. But uh, so m- almost all my kids, their love language is meaningful touch. 
And I'm like, that's the last thing on my list, the five things, is the last thing. In fact, I'm just, I have kind of the attitude, I learned in kindergarten, we're supposed to keep our hands to ourselves. <laughs> now, I like when my wife hugs me, but that's it. I mean, I like it when my kids hug me, but they're all hugging me all the time. It's just like, and I remember one time we were sitting around the table. Oh, yeah, I know. We were sitting around the table, and we were laughing. We had eaten, and we were just laughing. We were roaring with laughter. And my oldest son, who just loves to hug. Have you ever seen, I'll get Joe up here. You won't get out of here without getting hugged. And, and so he's, we're all laughing. Ha, 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 ha. And Joe goes, hey, Dad, can I have a hug? And I'm like, what? <laughs> we're doing manly things right now. We're laughing. We're making, you know, ho, ho, ho noises. I mean, come on. But I hugged him. I put a leather strap in my mouth, bit down. And <clears throat> I'm exaggerating a little bit. You understand what I'm saying. But, but my point is, is that fathering is not just a position. You're not just a mannequin in the house. You have to be engaged. It's easier for wives, it seems like, but I'm just encouraging the men to be engaged. And um, see, you know, like I said, our, our society has abandoned the, uh, the foundations of manhood and the foundations of fathering. And I'll tell you, what, what will happen is that if we don't return our society is going to go into captivity. I don't mean that we're going to be taken over by another country, but there's other ways to go into captivity. And we're going to go into captivity. See, I, my time is up, and I, I told myself not to preach too long because uh, it's Father's Day, and, and Father's, there's a steak waiting. You guys, you're thinking about food, and because and, uh, it's one of the most important needs of men. The other one is sex. <laughs> you're welcome, fathers. You know, uh, sometimes uh, we, wives think that men want sex. No, they need it. <laughs> I'm hurting over here. So you're welcome, fathers. And, and wives need affection. <laughs> so, like, you know, I'm not a real touch... <clears throat> I'm not a real touchy person, so my wife always wants to hold my hand. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I do. I mean, don't, don't look at me like that. <laughs> you low life scumbag. <laughs> so, I mean, we hold hands, and, but, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it seems kind of weird. Isn't it? <laughs> but anyways, whatever, go, let's, keep, let's, let's move on from there. And so, foundations. <laughs> Holding hands is a foundation. But here's what, here's what happens. I'm going to close. I have a, quite a bit of sermon left. It looks like it could go about two more hours. <laughs> Better wrap it up, huh? Uh, but the, abs the absence of fathers has created an orphan spirit in our, our country. You know, I ever heard the phrase, who's your daddy? I was going to call this sermon, who's your daddy? But I looked up the definition of who's your daddy, and <laughs> it, might have, it might be the most watched sermon on the Internet, but it definitely isn't 
what I was trying to get at, you know what I, you know what I mean? But who's your daddy? <laughs> but I, I but, but, uh, but here's the thing, who's your daddy? But isn't that interesting that that's a popular phrase? Because the, in some cultures and some communities, we don't know. And, or if we do know, we don't know who he, where he is. He's absent. And that creates an orphan spirit. You know, it's interesting. Let me give you one more <clears throat> passage of scripture here. And go to Mark chapter 1 real quickly. And this, I use this a lot, but what heals the orphan spirit is the spirit of adoption. Where Paul says it's sent into our hearts. The Holy Spirit is sent into our hearts whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And Abba, you know, I've heard different people have different opinions on it, but it, it actually is an affectionate word. And I saw that firsthand. I told you about that when I went to Israel and we got in an elevator in Jerusalem and a father, a Jewish father and his son got into the elevator with us. And uh, I, they were Orthodox Jews because they dressed a certain way. And I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, the little boy looks up to his dad and says, Abba. And I go, I, I just, because I always heard Abba means daddy. It's a colloquial term. It means kind of like daddy, or colloquial term is probably not the best word, but it's, it's an affectionate closeness, uh, uh, affectionate a term that a son would have for his father. And when he said Abba, Abba, then he, he was speaking in Hebrew. I didn't understand what he was saying, but I just went, I looked and went, did, I wanted to go, did you say Abba? Did you call your dad Abba? And the Bible says that God sent forth his son, his, the spirit, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The spirit of adoption. God is trying, you know, no matter what your, uh, your experience with your earthly father was, and because a lot of us, we have some really bad experiences with our earthly father. I had a good father. He was, he was a hard-driving man, he was, but he was a good man. He was faithful to my mom, and he was in some serious situations where he could have been unfaithful, but he was a very faithful man, and, and people that worked for him would tell me, your dad is an amazing man. He, would have, he, he was a CEO of a pretty large co corporation, and he would have employee meetings where there's thousands and thousands of employees there, and he would say, we're going to start this employee meeting with the Bible. He would read scripture to them, and he would pray, and then he would tell them what, what the future of the company looked like. In fact, I remember this lady talked to me. She, she, she said the first time she came to the work there, the first employee meeting, I think they had them quarterly, the, the, the lady goes, what, what, what's going on here? We're going to have an employee meeting. And then the lady goes, who had worked there for a while, said, you haven't been an employee you haven't been to employ me like this one. My dad was just that kind of a guy. And, um, but not everybody has that kind of a father. They don't, you know, they're, they're alcoholic or they're distanced or they're not there. They, they, they run off or whatever. They're not a father. They're not a nurturing person in the family. But it doesn't, I mean, it matters. But let me just say this. There is a way to heal the orphan spirit. There is a way to reconnect with, if your earthly father, you can't reconnect with him, there's a way to reconnect with your heavenly father in a way where he can meet the deep need of your heart, 
where he can bring you into sonship because he sends forth the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, affectionate Father. Father, you are so affectionate. You know, one of the things that when you look at the ministry of Jesus, because, you know, we know that Jesus was God in a human form, but he set, the Philippians says that he set aside his mighty power and glory and he became like one of us. Even though he was without sin, but he was just like us. And so he had temptations like we had, but he w was without sin. I mean, he had lust temptations. He saw the little piece of bread there going, he ain't going to steal that piece of bread. I mean, he had temptations like we did. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet he was without sin. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you've sinned. You have to yield to the temptation. But he never yielded to the temptation. And I love this passage where in Mark chapter 1, if you want to put that up there real quickly, it says that came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Here's the Spirit descending upon him. Go ahead, next verse. Then a voice came from heaven. You are... My beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That is a powerful statement right there. Every father should say stuff like that to their kids. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I'm so pleased with you. I'm so proud of you. Now, somebody might say, I, I'm waiting for them to do something I'm proud of. There's always something. Got great teeth. You know, come on, think of something. You know, if you get out of that a negative mindset, you can always find something you can speak. Go to the next verse. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. You know, it's interesting. So how many could tell that he gets baptized, there's a crowd around. He comes up out of the water, the heavens open. I don't know what that looked like. But all of a sudden, this, vo this voice speaks. You are. Can you imagine what, what it would have been like to be there that day? And G, I don't think Jesus shrugged that off. I don't think he said, yeah, well, Dad's just blowing up, blowing up on me or whatever. I think that powerfully, powerfully impacted his life. And so when you think about that, you go, I'm the son. Let, I'm the Messiah. Let's go. Let's start the worldwide ministry. Let's get it happening. Come on. Let's get out there in the masses. Very next thing, goes into the wilderness. Isn't that wild? Because we'd be like, we got to tell, I got to tell somebody, you know. Like John, Dave, Dave was talking about this one day, where, where John the beloved kept talking about, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. You know, tell, tell, tell us that in the eternal word of God. So you'd think that Jesus would, but immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was tempted by the devil but I, think, I don't think the reason Jesus went into the wilderness, I don't think that was why he went in there. It was like, I heard something that's so powerful, so life-transforming, so life-altering, I have to take some time and just let that message burn into my bones. I'm the beloved son. He's well-pleased with me. And because Jesus, you know, his, his birth was questionable. I mean, it wasn't questionable for us. But to them, it was questionable. Because even in John 8, it says, the Pharisee says, we, were never, we weren't born of fornication. So the word was around that Jesus' birth was 
Mary was doing the dirty on the side, you know. And so he had, to, he had to bear that reproach from people. But here he said, you are my beloved son. I want to I stay here for a while. I want that to sink in. He goes into the wilderness, away from all the noise, away from all the voices, away from all the distractions. I want that to stink, sink into my soul because I'm going to start a worldwide ministry that's going to transform society, but it's going to start with me and Abba. Me and Abba. Abba just talked to me from heaven, and I want that to resonate on the inside of me. You know, I guess the last thing you could say, I'll say to us here, <clears throat> the last thing that Jesus did, something very remarkable with that message. You know what he did? He believed it. John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, he said, we have come to know and believe the love God has for us. We have come to know it. That means we've experienced it and believe it. The love God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Jesus was God's beloved, and he knew it. And instead of answering all, see, one of the reasons why people are constantly trying to do things to gain approval is because they're not secure in God's love. They're, they're human doings instead of human beings. When you become a human being, you can become a human doing, but doing comes after being. Jesus was a son, and he did those things that pleased Abba. Everybody say Abba. Isn't that a cool word, Abba? Remember on the cross, he said, in the garden, he said, Abba, Father, Daddy. I was going to give you a definition of manhood, but I'm going to not do that tonight, today, I mean. It's going to be night before I get done with this sermon. <laughs> Let's all stand together. Well, happy Father's Day. I mean, if you feel orphaned, if you feel orphaned, and a lot of guys feel that way, they feel orphaned. They didn't have a father at home. They didn't hear, have a father's voice. They had, a, they had a title, a man with a title, but they didn't have a man with a nature. And that's a, that's a hard thing to come over, to get over, to get past. You know, I, I told you the story. I know I've, some of this stuff has warmed over manna. But characteristics of dysfunction in a society comes from this one. I mean, we could say a lot of things, but this, because it's Father's Day, we're focusing on this, comes from a lack of fathers. And I just want to encourage you that if you are a father, no matter where, how old you are, you say, well, my kids are all grown up. It's never too late. It's never too late. I'll tell you, you know, my dad, you know, he was an adventurous, he was the most adventurous guy. I went, to tw I went to nine schools in 12 years, and we were not in the military. And I told that to my dad one time. I said, you know, I went to nine schools in 12 years. You realize that, don't you? He goes, wow, you had a lot of life experience. <laughs> but, um, but I remember one time, my dad, mom and dad never told me they loved me. 
I knew that they did. And I wasn't like, well, do they love me? Do they love me? Because I knew they did. But I thought, I'm going to, my dad was kind of a, you know, he, he changed when he got older. He's always, he wasn't real huggy. In fact, I used to tell, like, my wife's parents, if, if you were going to go to the grocery store, you say, I'll go get some milk. You had to go through a line of everybody hugging you. You know, it's like, I'm going to hug again. Oh, my God. And then hug, and then I get kissed on the cheek or get patted. And it's like, you know, come on. But my mom and dad, if I, if I said, I'm going to go to Africa and be a missionary for, for 10 years, you won't see me for 10 years. Okay, well, just make sure you're right. That's kind of the way, I mean, I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but you understand what I'm saying, just the differences. But I remember, you want to hear a funny story? So the first time I thought, I'm, I'm going to get this, I'm going to tell this guy I love him because he needs to hear I love him. So I remember, the, I said, hey, Dad, I love you. He looks at me, he goes, me too. <laughs> I wanted to say, you love you too? Or are you trying to say you love me? But it seemed like something happened after that. It seemed like he would, every, every once in a while, he started once sporadically, he'd say, I love you. I go, I love you too, Dad. And then it got to be constant. Phone call, every phone call, love you, Dad, love you. It's like a dam broke up, broke. Then it was the hugs, the hug, and the I love you, and, and it was the affection. And sometimes it just takes a kickstart. And all you got to do is just start the process. It's like a dam will break, and, and just start, you know, even though it might be awkward at first, but just start telling, as a father, just start telling your kids, you know, you really, I'm so proud of you. You're an amazing kid. I love you, and and uh, just let your heart let you open that creaky door in your in your soul. That's your emotions. Just go and just let it out. Just don't just don't just stand there. And don't say, "Well, they know I love them." I know they probably do, but hey, you know it always helps to hear it. My wife, we say we love. She usually initiates it, but we say we love each other every day. I wanted to say to her, I love you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> right? I mean, if there's any wavering or anything, I'll let you know. But every day, I love you, I love you. Have we said this before? I love you. And kids need to hear it. Little kids need to hear it. And we need to care enough to challenge dysfunctional behavior. This because dysfunctional behavior doesn't just, some things may go away if they're kiddiness. You know, kids are kids, right? But rebellion and defiance doesn't usually go away. It just go, wars into something else. You're going to have a problem on your hands, right? I could say a lot, but I'm going to quit. But let's pray together. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Th thank you, Lord, that you are Abba, Father. You are our Abba, Father. You did not want to be without us, so you sent the Son. You did not want to be in heaven without us, so you sent your only begotten Son. What an amazing gift, Abba.
what an amazing gift you gave to us. We'll never in a million years be able to thank you enough for that incredible gift. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Abba. Just say, thank you, Abba. And Lord, I just pray right now in this place that you would heal. If there is an orphan spirit in on any person here, Lord, man or woman, where they don't feel like they connected with their mom or their dad, I just pray, God, right now that the spirit of adoption would begin to manifest itself in their hearts and their lives right now. Holy Spirit, that you would draw them, draw them into that intimate relationship with Abba, that they could experience God's favor God's love and God's identity, God's value, God's worth over their lives. We just pray for the hurt to be healed, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. I want to give you the opportunity. Time has kind of got away from us here, I think. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to be prayed for. I'm going to ask... Yuri and Tanya, they love to pray for people. Could you guys help us pray today? Could you come on up here? I'm going to ask them to pray. Help us pray. And the prayer counselors too come. But if you, if you in any way, Tanya, can you come or you can't come? Okay. If you can in any way, if you, if you feel that sense of uh, orphanness, on you, like you say, man, it wasn't pretty. My mom, my relationship with my mom and dad wasn't pretty. Just receive prayer. Let God heal your heart, okay? Would you do that? I, I know someone goes, well, I don't want to act like I'm in need or whatever, you know. You know what? Paul, the great apostle, said, pray for me. Everybody needs prayer at some point in their life. Even Jesus in the Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, could you tarry with me one hour? Could you... Could you pray with me? This is an intense moment. Could you pray with me? Even Jesus asked for it. But I want to just give you the opportunity that if you, if you are, if you, you have that sense of, I just feel orphaned. I feel like I never connected. I, I lack identity. I lack the sense of value or worth. Don't, don't leave here today with that hanging on you. Let this be a moment of breakthrough for you. Amen? And if you are... Uh, father, I just want to, or a mother, I mean, I just want to encourage you, fathers, to open your heart up and speak blessing, speak value, speak worth to your, your kids. If you haven't done that, you're not in the habit of doing that, or you did it one time when they were graduated from high school, but I, I encourage you to do it and make it a big deal. It was a big deal when Jesus heard, you are my beloved son. That was a big deal. You need to have that big deal. Amen. So we're going to just transition the service. We're going to dismiss. Make sure if you're a father in the house, you say, well, I got a couple fathers at home. Uh, That's not going to work. But if you're a father in the house, make sure you get your T-bone steak before you leave. New York. I thought it was a T-bone. New York. New York steak before you leave. It's free. It's not cooked yet, though. You have to cook it. But but make sure you get one before you go. Gary Halsabas will be back there handing them out. And then um, once we, every father gets one, if there's any leftovers, we do sell them. 
But please, if there is in any sense an or you feel like that orphan thing's on you, just don't leave without being prayed for. Amen? Hey, it's been great celebrating Father's Day with you guys. I just pray a blessing over you right now in Jesus' name. May the favor of Almighty God be upon your life. Hallelujah. May you, he bless your going ins and your coming out. Whatever you put your hand to may be blessed. And may you have an incredible day of celebrating fathers. We pray in Jesus' name. God bless you all. Please come forward if you need prayer. God bless you. We'll see you next week.